Hello, and welcome to A Mo Story. My name is Joe Enos, and this is a weekly podcast where I cover different topics and provide you stories from my own life. I'm a 47-year-old gay man, an immigrant from the Azores Islands, a brother of seven siblings, a healthcare worker, a Seattle resident, and sometimes just a guy with a microphone ranting. Thank you for listening to A Mo Story. This is episode 18, part one of Ex-Boyfriends. I thought it'd be fun to discuss my ex-boyfriends and go into a little bit of detail about the relationships, their individual personalities, what happened, and just kind of some fun-natured discussions about ex-boyfriends. I always say, my ex-boyfriends are amazing. You should date them, not me. I stand by that still to this day. If you'll remember from one of my earlier episodes, I discussed that I had met a guy on the phone sex lines by the name of Jay, and he and I dated... He was the first boyfriend I ever had. He was from Cleveland. I was living at the time in Boston and then went to Chicago. And we dated off and on for about, I would say, maybe a year, two years. I was 22 or 23 at the time. And Jay was, I think, 30 at the time. And we got along really well. But the problem with the relationship was he lived in Cleveland. And I was in Boston first and then moved to Chicago. And so the distance kind of became an issue. As well as, I was 22. And when I came out fully... I kind of wanted to, you know, go out there and and really do it with a bang. And I didn't want to have a boyfriend, unfortunately. And I know that it broke his heart and he was devastated because we really liked each other and he was great and we got along really well. But it was just the timing, I think, on that. I was really young and not ready to be in a relationship with somebody that lived, you know, further away. And it ended up ending because of that reason. Now, fast forward to present day. Jay got married and has been since divorced, and we still do speak on Instagram from time to time and send each other messages, so I still, you know, keep in contact with him as well as you can. I know, kind of boring. The next ones get really good. Look at my eyes, but I turn away. Yeah, I was a slave to the hands of fate. Like I'm on trial just to clean my name. Easier to run, but I gotta stay. This is gonna haunt me. Shortly after I broke up with Jay, I met a guy by the name of James on a date from, I believe it was gay.com. So I met James and James was nice and we hung out, I think for about maybe two weeks. And I had gone on a trip and came back and he decided he wanted to pick me up at the airport. So I waited for him to come get me. And when he got there, he had something in his arms and I couldn't figure out what the heck it was. Well, as I got closer, I realized it was a pug, a black pug that we named Emma. The problem was, I lived in an apartment that couldn't have dogs. So immediately, after only knowing James about a month, we moved in together because we had this dog that he bought me. Now, James was from a Long Island family, Italian, but his mother had remarried this very rich, older gentleman and had a Porsche, they had a a home on Fisher Island, they had a 64-foot yacht, they had all of the goodies, you know, that a person could have with money. But his mother wasn't really in his life growing up because of the fact that she was chasing this older guy. And so he was raised kind of by his grandparents um, and his dad a little bit. Well, when we got together, 
all of a sudden, his mother was back in his life, which isn't important right now, but just remember that fact. So James and I started living together very quickly, and we moved into one apartment, which we ended up having trouble with and had to break the lease, and moved into another apartment. For literally, I think, three months total, we lived together. It started to get rocky. Things started to not, you know, work because we were completely different people, and we didn't even really know each other. But because he had bought me a dog, I had to move in with him, essentially. So we finally got to a point where we were done. I mean, I think we had yelled at each other. We were just, you know, arguing back and forth. We decided we were going to break up. And I had to go on another work trip. So I go on this work trip, and I come back to my apartment, and it's completely wiped clean. James's mother had come up from Long Island with a trailer and took everything out of the apartment except for my clothes. So I was pissed, let me just tell you. So remember I said James wasn't raised by his mother growing up? So because he wasn't raised by his mother, he had a little bit of a lisp, and his father kind of bullied him, and some of his other family members bullied him, and so the kid had a little bit of a bad childhood. And so at school, he constantly was getting bullied, and he would fight. And so he had broken his nose, I think, four times. He had this huge Roman nose. Well, when his mother came back into his life, she had decided that for Christmas, she was going to have a plastic surgeon redo his nose, her plastic surgeon, who had done all her work. We broke up in September, and his plastic surgery appointment was for December. To get him back for him and his mother taking all my shit out of my apartment, I ended up calling the plastic surgeon's office two weeks before and pretending I was James and saying, I was sick and I would have to cancel my surgery. I wouldn't be able to attend. And I would call after the new year. Now, I remembered her specifically telling me that it was like a six to seven month wait to see this doctor. And so now I had just canceled his appointment. He was going to have to wait longer. One day, I'm in Fort Lauderdale and I'm walking through a bar and all of a sudden, who do I see? James coming right at me. We just kind of looked at each other and looked away and we didn't even talk. Now, James and I had a friend in common by the name of Rachel and she kept friendship with both of us. But towards the end of my time in Boston, her night kind of became a little bit closer and she would fill me in on what James was telling her had happened in his life. So remember I said they had a business that was very successful and it was the older gentleman that she had Mary's business. Well, it was a business that they did computer parts. They made like little motherboards and all these little like pieces that would actually all go inside of a computer. Well, James's mom had two sisters and she brought them into the company. And one created a separate company that supported theirs. And the other one created an exactly alike company and actually took some of their clients and went against them. And they sued her in court and won. And so she hired a private detective to follow James' mom. Now, the rumor was that James' mom had a lot of extracurricular gentlemen friends, her trainer, some pilot, a couple different guys all over the place in Florida and whatnot. And she would joke about it and say how the sister was making that up and it was all a lie and that she was only in love with the dad and whatnot. Well, that was a lie because the private detective found her and some American Airlines pilot at their Fisher Island condo fucking. He took pictures. He got all kinds of different pictures of her with different uh, men, with their trainer, everyone. And they sent it to the husband and to her parents. Rachel told me that she believed they got a divorce and that the mother didn't get as much as she had wanted because she was the adulteress. So, you see, karma's a bitch. That's what she gets for coming into my apartment and taking all my shit, you dumb cunt.
I've moved to Chicago and I am about to start my advanced studies and I meet this guy on Chicago M for M on AOL. His name is Greg and we call him Grandma for short because he always falls asleep everywhere we go. He had told me he was 38, I believe, and I was 23 and he was actually 41. And so I went to meet him. I went to his house. And I sat there, and we just kind of were talking and whatnot, and I had had a baseball cap on, and eventually I took my baseball cap off, and we started fooling around and ended up fucking, and it was, like, amazing and whatnot, and we instantly liked each other. But he said to me, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that you're okay. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I thought you had cancer because when you took your hat off, it looked like you had cancer pattern balding. Now, immediately, G, I didn't think was the most attractive person. He kind of looked like a sun-beaten little kind of Italian Jew, and he had this little bald spot in the back. But one, he was super funny and just a blast to be around. And two, he knew how to fuck. So within six months, I move into G's house. And G had bought this house for a partner of his who had died of AIDS. And I thought it was amazing. All the different things that reminded him of him, the artwork that was done by him. And he was always so impressed with the fact that I wasn't jealous or upset. And I said, why am I going to be jealous? That person is part of you. It's not like you divorced or something. It, they died. I mean, I'm not, I don't care. And who am I going to compete with? A dead person? You'll never win. When I had met G, he had told me that he had never been in a monogamous relationship. And at that time, I wanted the Pottery Barn White Picket Fence monogamy relationship. And so he had gone to London and... He was on the plane. He, I think he said he was watching Anna and the King or something. And he started crying and he sent me an email saying that he wanted to try. He definitely wanted to try. He used to call me the cutest boy in the world. So we started. I moved in, as I say, and we were happy as could be. I mean, it was amazing at the beginning. Within a year, we decided we wanted to buy a condo in New Orleans. And we did. And then we got a second dog. Uh, he had a dog that was a, like a mix um, named Frida, which was really, she was really cute. And then we ended up getting a little Boston Terrier named Molly Moo. We even got engaged and bought each other Tiffany wedding rings. After about the second or third year, we had gone on a lot of trips together. We were hanging out. We were doing everything together. It was amazing. I started to notice that Greg's interest was kind of sliding and that also he had a lot of new friends in different cities and places that I had never met or heard about. The first was Matt Summers, the porn star. All of a sudden, he's really good friends with this guy in New Orleans and whatnot, and Matt Summers' boyfriend one time was there, and Matt wasn't, and the boyfriend slipped and said something about Greg fucking Matt Summers, which I already knew. One night, I'd gone out, and Greg was in New Orleans, and I had brought people back to the house for an after party, and one of the girls that came back, she was really well-known in town, and she was a dealer, and she was hanging out at the house. And after everybody left, she said, you know, I really, really like you. And I want to just kind of tell you something and be honest with you. And I said, what's that? And she said, I, and I don't know how to say this. I'm like, okay, tell me. And she said, you're really delusional on what you think your relationship is with Greg. She then went on to say that Greg had, you know, been cheating. He's got all these guys on the side, this and that and whatnot. And I was so embarrassed. And at the same time, I felt like an idiot because I kind of knew but didn't. And now it was like there in my face that everybody else knew except for me. Well, there was this guy online that I used to think was attractive and I had messaged him before I met Greg and, and then when I found out that Greg was fucking around and he was never really that interested in me. But at this point, he knew that Greg and I were together and he decided that he would talk to me online 
and sent me videos of him and Greg fucking. Greg, of course, denied it. He was in New Orleans at the time. I called him. He denied it, denied it. So that day, I got my brand new Volkswagen Passat, the new one that had come out and it hadn't changed its body style in 100 million years. It was that real roundy kind of cool one. And I went to Diesel Jeans and I spent about $1,000 at Diesel Jeans on our shared credit card. I went to Louis Vuitton and I think I spent probably ten dollars or $20,000 on luggage. And as I was leaving the parking lot from Louis Vuitton, I crashed my brand new car. I spent so much money at Louis Vuitton that year that they invited me to Sydney to see their new boat for their sail competition that they were doing. Greg continued to deny, and it just started to get worse and worse and worse. And so we decided we were going to stop dating. And I was getting my apartment, but it wasn't ready for like 15 or 20 days. And so I stayed upstairs and he stayed downstairs. Greg named my apartment the Stabbing Cabin. And I'll admit, there was some stabbing that happened in that cabin. We had refinished our basement, and there was a door to the basement on like the, almost like the basement level, uh, like a step below, but we never really used it because right above it was the stairs to go into the front entrance. So one day I'm upstairs and Greg had gone to the gym and I hear the dogs going ballistic. And so I come down the stairs and I can't find them. And then I hear them that they're down in the basement. They're going ballistic down there. And I walk down the basement and what do I see? Greg is fucking some boy that he had met at the gym. Oh, that was it. So I moved out very shortly after that and became extremely angry with Greg and just out of my mind, honestly. So I decided that I was going to make flyers and the flyers that I made stated, have you seen my lost dog? And they had a picture of Greg and his phone number and it said, last seen fucking a brown-haired, brown-eyed boy in the basement. And I went to Kinko's and I printed 350 of them and I was going to take them to his work and throw them off the high-rise parking structure all over so that everybody could see them. As I was getting ready, for some reason, I thought to myself, okay, Joe, what's going to happen if you do this? Like, are you going to get in trouble legally? Like, you know that, like, you can't turn this around. What is going to happen? And at that moment, thank God, I talked myself out of it. And instead, I drove to Greg's house. I put the flyers on his steps and rang the doorbell and left him there. Oh my God, I forgot I was supposed to not say their names. Shit, I was going to come up with initials for them or something else to identify them. Oh, well, it's too late now. Well, after that, leaving the flyers at his doorstep, we had a couple more, you know, bad exchanges. And then we finally just kind of got out of it. Uh, he would come to my apartment every now and then we'd fuck. And then we finally got over that part and just decided that we'd be best friends. Uh, Greg had an amazing relationship with all his exes. Actually, we would all hang out and they used to call us the Stepford Wives. And I kind of just fit right into that as well. And still to this day, we all call Greg for advice and talk to him. And he is kind of, you know, a friend and kind of a family member to all of us. I think at a point he was probably my best friend after we split up. He has never had a relationship that ended where he's not friends with his ex. And I thought that was really interesting, but I tried to also act that way because you gotta be an adult. You didn't get along or there was an issue or whatnot, but you can move forward and still communicate or act like an adult. When Greg and I were together, we came up with these alter egos I actually did for each other. And it was that our names were Pussy and Morty Monfish, the Monfishes. And I have two kayaks and I've named them Pussy and Morty Monfish. What happened to Greg? Well, Greg was a vice president for a large health system in Chicago. He was the marketing and advertising vice president. And they were going in a different direction than he liked. So he asked if he could leave and they gave him a severance. 
He then met another guy and they both bought a couple houses and remodeled them and decided then at that point that they were going to go move to Miami. So he moved to Miami and he did Teach for America and he liked that until Teach for America asked him or the school district asked him to teach science and he was not a science major. So then he left that. He then proceeded to get yoga instructor training and open up a little yoga studio. Around that same time, the boyfriend that he had that he moved with Miami to had a secret boyfriend in New York and it ended up ending and he stayed in Miami because he loved the weather so much. His, he counts the days that he doesn't have to wear or that he has to wear socks. That's, that's his goal. It's kind of stupid. But he then was getting a haircut and he met this boy named Miguel who was in Miami illegally and working at this hair salon. But the hair salon had brought him into the country and was kind of using him and taking a lot of his money. And so Greg was trying to help him at that point to get documented or whatnot. And one day Greg just went to go pick him up from the salon and said, you know what, we're going to the courthouse. And they went and got married and he left that salon. Greg bought him a salon and it's part of their salon and part of their yoga studio. This past year, Greg decided that he wanted to become a civil employee and he ran for commissioner of his little town in Florida. And unfortunately he didn't win, but he got a good percentage amount of the votes. So Greg is doing well, living in Florida, never wears shoe uh, socks and just enjoying his life with Miguel. After Greg, I met another James. James was a structural engineer who lived not too far from me and was really a nice guy. He was amazing. He was, I would say, probably 75% a bottom. And by 75%, a professional fucking bottom. That man's ass was always clean. I'm not kidding. He never, ever had a question whether or not his ass was clean or not. He was a pervert, which was great because I'm kind of dirty too. And he loved show tunes, and we had a lot of fun together. He loved martinis with blue cheese olives, which was kind of gross sometimes when you'd have to kiss him. But for the most part, he was a great guy. He was from Illinois. He had a family that was established there. And it worked out great for about a year. After about a year, I started to realize that James didn't know, like, how many siblings I had or any of their names or anything like that. And I had started to ask him, like, are you interested in meeting my family? Do you know, do you want to do this, do that? And he kind of was like, no, not really. And it just got to a point where I kind of felt like it was going nowhere. And I was at a place where I wanted to go somewhere with him or in that relationship as far as like to the next level. And he wasn't really that interested in it. So we decided that we would stop seeing each other and we still remained friends. And I still actually talk to him for every now and then on Instagram. But James used to do this thing. He would get in my bed and he'd go, mm, 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 James wants dick. Can James have your dick? And this was during my exclusive top years. And so I would fuck the shit out of him. Like, I mean, unbelievably pound the crap out of him. And he loved it. James, still a structural engineer. 
He designs a lot of bridges and still in Chicago and he seems to be doing really well. After James, I dated here and there, and I had what I called the 30-day hump, which meant I could not get over 30 days with any guys. It was the weirdest thing, and Greg used to call me the serial dater because I went on so many dates, and I started with dinners and eventually got to small coffees because they were that bad. Now, about a year or so after I stopped seeing James, I met the most recent long-term ex, whose name was Craig. Craig grew up in Wisconsin and was a vice president for a psychology university. And he lived in Chicago like I did. He had a condo on Lakeshore Drive and mine was in Rogers Park. We met one afternoon when I was dog watching my friend Jason's little French bulldog at his place. And we went out to lunch and then we ended up fucking. And of course, this was still when I was an exclusive top. And we decided we wanted to hang out a little bit more. This was the summertime and I remember it was market days weekend because he and I hung out the second time we hung out was at Market Days, and that's when he met Grandma and Jason, all my friends that lived in Chicago on our second date, and we actually hung out till like, I don't know, one or two in the morning, and we have a picture of ourselves holding, like, you know, hugging right in front of a stop sign, and it was kind of a, our little picture that we remembered that was, you know, our second date. Within the first year of Craig and I meeting, he ended up moving primarily to my condo because he wanted to be with me, and so he stayed at my condo. I even bought this big closet organizer thing from Ikea to be able to have extra room for all his clothes. We traveled a lot the first year, I think even probably the first and second year. And then we decided that we wanted to move in into a new space together full time. And so we bought a house. Craig kept his condo and I eventually got rid of mine. Now, what I haven't told you about Craig is, is that when I met him, he was super sweet and super content and was a very easygoing kind of amazing guy. But what I didn't know was that Craig had been in a relationship prior to me that apparently somebody had cheated on him or something. And he became extremely controlling and possessive over everything that I did, read, or looked at. He had software installed on my computer so he could see what keystrokes I was doing. He would ask oftentimes who was texting me and want to look at my phone. He would contact me multiple times a day to find out where I was and what time I was getting home just to make sure that I was not fooling around with somebody. For his work at that time, he traveled a lot as well, but he had cut back his travel so he could keep an eye on me. And at first, it didn't seem like a big deal, but it started to wear on me. The first time it really started to bother me was when we went to Green Bay to go to the Green Bay Packers game. And Craig's family... Everybody we knew was Green Bay Packers fans, and so it was a blast. But Craig was in love with one of the wide receivers named Jordy Nelson. He used to call it his baby's daddy. And when we got there, I thought that the kicker, Mason Crosby, was kind of cute. And so I was kind of taking a couple of pictures of everything and him and whatnot. That turned into probably a two-week fight about Craig saying, well, I don't know why you like him. Is that what kind of guy you're interested in? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why did you take pictures of him? Why do you like him? And I'm like, Craig... It's not like I'm ever going to actually date him. So what? I thought he was kind of cute at the thing. You have Jordy Nelson. Yeah, but I don't understand why you would take pictures of him. And I'm like, just stop. The next thing that Craig started to do was everywhere I looked, because I'm a very observant person. I look around when I'm eating, you know, sitting at a table and whatnot, just to kind of see what's going on. Everywhere I looked, he'd be like, where are you looking? Where are you looking? And I'm like, Craig, stop. I'm just looking around. And he would constantly try to see where I was looking. 
towards the end of the relationship when I would when I was being a jerk, I would actually start looking around in different locations and he would try to figure out what I was looking at. Craig was also a mastermind of knowing how to kind of add new things that then would distract you from other things. For example, when we first met, the first two years, we would go to a lot of gay things. We'd go to Pride, we'd go to Market Days and whatnot. Oh no, after that, he was too concerned that I might meet somebody or leave him or something. So every year after that, oh, my sister asked us if we could go to the lake or my family's doing something. It was always something. And at first, I didn't recognize it, but then I started to realize it. He also added things whenever the situation amongst he and I would start to get a little tense. He would buy something or have us buy something. We went to India, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives Islands for a little over a month. And when we got to Mumbai, he had a work event that he had to go to. And I was working on my thesis, and so I was supposed to be editing. And he left. Well, when I was at the hotel, I thought, you know, I have a little bit of time, so I'm going to watch some porn and, like, beat off him. He came back, and he had seen that I watched porn, and he kicked me out of the hotel room. So there I was in Mumbai, India. I took my luggage. I went down to the front desk to see if they had a hotel room, and I was going to have to change my trip and go back the next day because I wasn't going to stay in India if this was going to end. And I got all the way to booking a hotel room at the front desk when he came down and started to apologize. On that same trip when we got to the Maldives Islands, one of the nights, one of our last nights, he thought I was looking at somebody, thought that I thought somebody was cute or something, and I was just like, Craig, I'm over it. I'm done. And I was so annoyed that we flew back from Mall, which is the capital of uh, the Maldives Islands, to Bangalore, to New Jersey, to Chicago, and we sat next to each other the whole time, and when we were on layovers, we walked separately. I didn't talk to him the whole 24 hours that we flew all the way back. He would also do this little thing that pissed me off. Whenever we would have an argument and I would just want to get away and like just, I would sometimes just go to Lowe's and walk the aisles, he would call his dad because I wouldn't answer my phone. And then his dad would call me and say, you know, Joe, Craig is really worried about you. Can you please call him back? I'm like, you asshole. You had Larry call me. So with each year was something new. First was my Jeep, then was his new car, then it was the lake house that we bought in Wisconsin, then it was the boat, it was vacations, always kind of things just to kind of fill the void between us and our relationship at this point. And we'd also adopted a five-year-old pug from a coworker of mine who couldn't keep him. And so Pugsley was the love of our lives, but Pugsley had to sleep in between us, which didn't help us at this point in our relationship because I had gotten to the point where his nagging so much about what I was up to, who I was talking to, who texted me, that kind of stuff, it started to turn me off so much that by the end of the relationship, I think we had had sex maybe a year before, if that, on a vacation, but I would look at him like almost as if he was a brother or kind of with disgust because I had literally lost all sexual interest in him. And I can remember the events leading up to what happened. First, I was driving home from work and I was talking to grandma on the phone, which he met on our second date and grandma was always in our lives until he moved to Miami. And he apparently had driven by me and I didn't see him and I was laughing on the phone with grandma. So when I got home, I got yelled at because he said that I give Greg or grandma all of the good and joy in my life and he gets all the bad stuff. Within that same week, I was running late at work. I was a manager at the time over a interventional radiology department at the University of Chicago. And there was an issue and I was going to be running a little late. And so I let him know that I was going to be home probably about an hour after, you know, I normally would get home. When I got home, I got accused of having sex with residents, with fellows. He had seen them. He knew that I liked them. They were all young and attractive. What was I doing? What was I up to? And I'm not kidding. It was just like, if I can't even go to work, I don't think I can do this. And we're talking 
five, six, seven years now. And so the next week, I believe it was a Wednesday, I got up just like we normally do. Uh, 5 a.m. alarm went off. I got the dogs up, walked down the stairs, let them out, waited for them to come back in. And then by that time, usually Craig was out of the shower. So I went up to the bathroom upstairs. As he pulled back the shower curtain, I looked at him and I said, I can't do this anymore. And he said, what? And I said, this. And he started crying. He started flipping out. And I told him, I, I can't do this anymore, Craig. I'm going to stay in the spare bedroom. Now, Craig is an amazing person. I will still say that. He's an amazing person. But when Craig is in a relationship or when Craig is angry about something in a relationship, he becomes very vindictive and very kind of egotistical. And he has to be right. And he has to win every argument. So we went to couples therapy. He asked if I would go. And I said, sure. And to me, couples therapy was kind of dumb because I'd always told him what annoyed me. But we went to couples therapy and we would go to this couples therapy, drive separately, and then drive separately home. And then we weren't supposed to talk to each other when we were home. We're supposed to wait till our next session, which to me was so stupid. I didn't even know why we were doing it. The therapist told us that we were going to work on either breaking up the relationship, mending it, or not sure and leaving it kind of where it was at. One day after couples therapy, I was walking to my car and I got a phone call. And it was from a recruiter who asked me if I was interested in a management job in California at a hospital. And I said, sure. Next thing I know, within a week and a half, they're flying me to San Francisco to go meet with them. And I told the therapist and him at the therapy session. And the therapist said, I believe that we're done here. Joe has thrown in the towel and, and we are done. Now, Craig and I had a trip planned to Cancun in two weeks. And I just kind of let it you know, be a wash because I was also going to be moving to California now. I missed a couple parts. About a year and a half before this all started... On March 27th, is considered International Joe Day, which is actually due to the coffee growers. So I always joke that I get two days. Uh, Joe Day on March 27th and my birthday on March 28th. Well, Craig on March 27th showed up at the house one day after work with a Cartier love band for me and for him and asked me if I would marry him. So we kind of started the plans of figuring out where we were going to do it and all that different kind of stuff. And right before we split up, at the end of 2013, we had decided that we would send our save the dates right after Thanksgiving. So we had sent everyone we knew our save the dates for the wedding, and now we had just split up. So I had to write and call and tell people that we were no longer going to be having the wedding. I will tell you, that is the only time that my mother was ever excited about me telling her that I was ending a relationship or that something was going on in my relationship because I told her that I would be moving to California, which is where she lives. And she was like, oh, that's so great. And I'm so sorry about the relationship. I decided that the week that Craig was going to Cancun, because he decided he still wanted to go on the trip, that I would start my trek to California. And I knew that if I wanted to try to take anything or if I wanted to negotiate anything, Craig was going to argue about it and say that it was his or that he, he didn't want me to take it, you know, whatever. I even had to leave Pugsley behind because he loved Pugsley so much. And he was a good parent to Pugsley. So I literally packed up my Jeep and all I had was my dog and my clothes and a couple personal effect things. And that was it. I left the house behind, the lake house behind, the boat. And I had to pay for all those things in the end. But like Tina Turner said when she divorced Ike, you can take everything away, but don't take my name because I can make it all back. And that's how I felt. I wanted to get out of there at any cost and I could make everything back as long as I was able to work. So what happened to Craig? Craig, shortly after he and I split up, met another guy who apparently was just like he was with me. He was very possessive and very controlling as well as he was very insecure and monitored everything that Craig did 
including any text messages or calls that came from me, which I think is hilarious. One weekend, Craig was up at the lake house, and he was putting the boat in the water, and he had really bad heartburn. He couldn't figure it out, so he went and got some Tums and all the other ailment, uh, the other medications that you can take over the counter. And the next day, he still had this really, really bad heartburn. He couldn't figure it out. So he went to one of those minute clinics that are, you know, kind of drop-in kind of thing. And the nurse said, you know, just for shits and giggles, I'm going to do a quick little three-lead EKG, which is not a lot. And she said, and, you know, we'll see what's going on. After she did it, she said, excuse me, she left the room, and then she came back and told Craig, I've dialed 911, you're having a severe heart attack. Craig's family had really bad heart conditions in them, and he had 90% blockage of his main artery to his heart at that heart attack. He went to cardiac rehab, made a full recovery, he decided that the stress of his job was too much, he quit his job, and he sold the lake house and the boat because he said they both had bad memories. Here's another crazy thing that happened after Craig and I split up. I moved to San Francisco, and prior to moving to San Francisco, I had a coworker whose niece was known as an addict, and she also had multiple partners, and she was on her third pregnancy. Her first pregnancy, her mother adopted the baby. The second one, the guy that she got pregnant from adopted it, and now there was a third, and they wanted to find somebody to adopt this baby. And so they had asked if Craig and I were interested in adopting the baby. So we met with the mother of the girl, and she was super nice, and she was very interested in us adopting the boy, and the girl went on and had, you know, her prenatal and all that stuff. And we ended up splitting up, and I left that job and kind of forgot about it. About a week after I moved to San Francisco, I got a call from the girl who was my coworker saying, they had the baby. Are you guys still interested? I'm like, uh, Vicky, I have something to tell you. Craig and I split up, and I'm in a studio now in San Francisco. I can't have a baby. But I always think, well, it's amazing sometimes how, like, the world just kind of hands you the weirdest little things right at the end. One more funny Joe and Craig fact. We would go out on a lot of vacations, and we went to Aruba, and we went to these pools that were out in the middle of nowhere that you had to four-wheel drive over boulders. When we got there, there was a huge gust of wind, and as we opened the Jeep doors, it slammed the doors into the fenders and bent them, and I thought for sure we were going to be buying a used Jeep in Aruba. They didn't even notice. In Cancun, I got a Jeep stuck in the sand, and we had to have the police tow us out. Another time in Cancun, Craig and I were body surfing, and we got pulled out so far that Craig started to hyperventilate, and we had to call for the lifeguards to rescue us with their uh, surfboards and be brought back to the shore. Another time, we went to this natural place called Shelha, which was where the natural waters ended up into the ocean. It was really these cool pools and stuff and whatnot. And I had been drinking pina coladas all day. And when we got on the bus, I noticed that my legs were solid rock hard, my calves. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm getting a DVT, a deep vein thrombosis. So I knew what it to do. So I walked an hour and a half on the bus back to Cancun the whole time we drove and drank water. We then got back to Cancun and I walked for another three hours drinking water to thin my blood up. And I slept with my legs up that night because I was not getting an IBC filter in Mexico. Because I didn't realize this was going to be such a long podcast, 
I broke this up into two separate parts, and this will conclude part one of episode number 18, X's. If you're interested, go ahead and listen to part two as it continues on into present day.